Quite often we would pray before we come to God's Word, but we've done that just now as we have sung that song. It's uh, a lot of the songs that we sing in church life are really prayers, and we've, we've already asked God to speak to us, uh, and we trust that He will do that just now. If you're visiting with us, it'll help you to know that we're just about to elect new elders or leaders in this congregation. And I've set aside a couple of Sundays, last Sunday and this Sunday, to just to think about that a little bit, to look at what God's Word says about eldership in the church, uh, so that we might enter into that process uh, with our minds very much focused uh, on what God would call us to. Last week, if you were here, you'll remember that we looked at Titus chapter 1, where there's a a list of qualifications that a person should have uh, to be called to be an elder of a church. Today, we're going to focus on 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look not so much at qualifications this time as the kind of leadership that elders ought to give uh, once they're in their post. So that'll give you an idea of where we are. Uh, Just a two-week series. Uh, Today is the second and final part. Before we come to the 1 Peter passage, I want you to look very quickly with me again at the Titus passage. So if you look up page 1198, Titus chapter 1. This is the passage that we looked at last week. If you remember, it's a long list, 15 different qualifications that elders should have. In verse 6 of that passage, Paul says that an elder should be the husband of but one wife, a man whose children are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Does that mean that an elder has to be a man married with children? Well, in short, the answer is no. Paul's writing in a very, diff, a very specific cultural context. For a start, it would have been unheard of in that context for women to be in leadership. So he immediately says that elders will be men. It would be also almost unheard of for a man of a, a particular age and beyond to be unmarried. And again, in the culture, it, it was so common as to, to almost cover all people that, that, that people had, had children. So therefore, Paul is writing within the expectations of his own culture who it is is going to, to be brought into leadership in the church. He's expecting that it will be a, a man who's married and who has children. We live in a very different context, don't we? There's a great deal more equality between the genders. I read a paragraph from the Code last week, which I was obliged to read, about the election of elders in Presbyterian churches in Ireland. And it makes clear there that women are eligible for election on the same conditions as men. So immediately, our area of of eligibility is broader. It's not just men, as it might have been in Paul's day, but women too are included. There's no requirement that an elder be married or that they have children. So therefore, I would put it to you that men and women, married and single, with or without children, are all eligible. I would put it to you that they're all eligible on that particular matter, but they won't all qualify 
along the grounds that Paul outlines in the rest of Titus chapter 1. Do you remember what we looked at there? The person who is qualified to lead in the church of Jesus Christ is the person with a, with a godly character. And I think that summarizes what we, what we thought about last week. A wonderful godly character. Not, not a huge range of gifts or abilities necessarily, but godly character. Let's get into Titus, or sorry, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're on page 1,220. If you look carefully at verse 1 of chapter 5, you'll, you'll notice that Peter's not writing this time in the context of, of an election of elders, if you like, or he's not talking about people who are going to be brought into eldership. He's, he's writing to elders. So these folks are already in place. And he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. So he's saying, listen, I'm a leader in the church, and I want to talk to, to you guys leading in churches where you are. And what does he say to them? Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Notice his choice of image that he wants these leaders to have in their minds. doesn't say anything about being managers or strategizers or coordinators. He says, no, be shepherds. Now, if you think for a moment who's writing here, then all of a sudden this becomes very powerful. This is the same Peter who had heard Jesus speak with unprecedented authority and say, I am the good shepherd. As a younger man, he had seen firsthand how Jesus treated people. For three years, he had the privilege of following Jesus through all, all occasions, all the experiences of their shared lives together. Peter had had the, the special privilege of being one of the twelve, one of a small flock of people who Jesus particularly cared for and nurtured. Jesus had taught Peter. He had trusted him. He had corrected him and he had forgiven him. Jesus had loved Peter to the end. Jesus had been a shepherd to Peter. Now, if you know anything about Peter and and the kind of life that, that he lived, you'll know that it was a long road for him to mature into the kind of man who could give leadership in the church. He was a slow learner as a follower of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, he he had opposed Jesus, um, challenging Jesus' own ideas about who Jesus was and what he was doing. At his death, you'll remember, Peter had betrayed Jesus. Three times he had denied him. So Peter failed Jesus and, and misunderstood him on many significant occasions. But by the time he's writing this letter, maybe 20 years later, 30 years later, Peter's become a new man entirely. So he's able to urge elders in churches to be shepherds of God's flock under their care because he's become an inspirational shepherd in the community of God's people. Peter's life has changed forever. 
Catherine read a, a wonderful passage for us from John's Gospel, which, which sort of symbolizes Peter's rehabilitation and, and his commissioning for this new work. Three times as he stood on that Galilean lake shore, the risen Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? It had to be three times because three times Peter had denied Jesus. He had had said he didn't even know him. Three times Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And that Galilean morning, Jesus commissioned Peter for the rest of his life. He said, Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, look after the flock that's under your care. So with all this experience of Jesus, Peter becomes a wonderful authority to speak in the church about leadership. And and of course, what he's doing in this passage here is he's just pointing us to Jesus. He's saying to the elders in the churches around him, lead like Jesus. Notice here in this short passage that Peter instructs these elders using three contrasts or three not-buts, as I'm going to call them this morning. He says, be shepherds not because you must, but because you're willing. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. We're going to move quite quickly through these three contrasts to build up a picture of the kind of leadership that elders in the church of Jesus Christ are to give. Elders shepherd God's people not because they must, but because they're willing. No one can be coerced or forced or manipulated into this role. It has to be a responsibility that they're they're willing to carry. Now, don't misunderstand me here. It doesn't mean that there wouldn't be some, uh, some reservations on the part of somebody who we might call uh, to eldership. It's quite possible that they'll struggle with feelings of, of unworthiness. It's quite possible that they'll have to think long and hard about whether they can fulfill the demands of eldership. But underlying all that uncertainty and all that hesitation, there needs to be a desire and a willingness in in the people that we call to serve in this capacity. They need to trust that God will use them and equip them for this task. Be elders, not because you must, but because you're willing. Last week I stressed for you the need to be prayerful as we make our choices. I'd want to reinforce that this week, but at the same time I want to ask you to pray for the other end of the equation, if you like. Pray for ourselves as we make our choices, but pray also that God would be at work in the people who will be chosen. Pray that he will give them a willingness and a trust in him that that with his help they can do this. So pray, if you you don't mind, pray at both ends of that calling and, and receiving the call Uh, that's going to be happening here. You'll find the second of Peter's not-buts at the end of verse 2. 
Elders shepherd God's people, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, now listen, I need to get this straight here in case there's any misunderstanding. Nobody's going to become wealthy by being an elder here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. I can't speak for other churches, but the, the salary of our elders here is a, a, a standard zero. There's, there's no money in this for anyone. You might think, well, we can just gloss over Paul's second contrast here. It's not important for us. But the, the translation here in the NIV, not greedy for money, actually is a little bit narrower than it needs to be. In other translations, uh, the, the phrase is rendered, not calculating what we can get out of it. Elders are to be shepherds of God's people, not calculating what they can get out of it. Now, doesn't that broader definition make it a, a more interesting and more important thing for us to dwell on for a moment? What might, what might we expect to get out of eldership? Is it honor and prestige? Is there a part of us that would quite like the idea of, of having a leadership role in the church? of sitting at the front when communion is served? Is it power? Is it power that we crave? We want to get into the the decision-making processes of the church, sort out all the the wrong decisions that are being made at the moment and, and get it on track. Is that possible? Folks, the Bible is never naive about human nature. It warns all of us who would be elders or consider the call to eldership to be not calculating what we can get out of it. In contrast, Peter says, we are eager to serve. Remember again, it's Peter speaking. Peter has shared years of his life with Jesus Christ. He's qualified to speak on this subject. He has seen the greatest life of service ever lived. Folks, we must understand this about Jesus. Jesus left all the glory and power of a life in heaven to come and live as a peasant, to move through backwaters of the country in which he lived, to be with humble people, and even to serve them. He said of his own ministry that he came not to be served, but to serve. This call to be elders and serve is a call to walk in the way of Jesus. Friends, we can't be leaders in the family of God until we learn this lesson. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who who serves others. The call to Christian service, it's, it's like no other promotion in the world. It's a promotion to service. Most other promotions, if you think about them in your workplace, you're given more responsibility, and with it, you're given more people to, to send on their way to, to control and to 
in the Christian community were promoted to serve. Elders are to be shepherds of God's people, not hungry for money, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. There's a third contrast here. Elders are to be not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. In order to think about this, I want to dwell with you for a moment on a very famous passage, and I've already referred to it. The passage in John chapter 10, where Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd. Many of us are very familiar with that passage, but we're not so familiar with the context. Why is it that Jesus describes himself at that point in these terms as a good shepherd? In John chapter 9, we read the story of Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. Now, the blind man's dragged before the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, to explain what has happened. And he tells them, Jesus healed me. The the religious leaders, they hurl insults at him. They throw him out of the synagogue. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, they were the spiritual leaders of the people. In the Old Testament, they're referred to over and over again as shepherds. That's their role. They are to to look after the flock that's under their care. How should these guys have responded to Jesus healing a blind man on the Sabbath? They should have booked a room in the nearest hotel for a party. They should have been looking to do everything that they can just to celebrate this moment and to enjoy it, to see this man who'd been blind all his life set free. And what do they do? They respond in anger because their authority has been challenged by another. These guys are anything but shepherds. The way they treat this blind man healed, it just demonstrates their unwillingness to care for their people. They're all about themselves, their position, and their authority. It's in that context with these bad shepherds exposed for who they really are that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Folks, it's possible and maybe even common for men and women to take up positions of leadership in the church and use that leadership to to lord it over people entrusted to them. They take on a role where they're, they're policing the congregation. They're making sure that everyone stays in line. They're watchdogs making sure that the wrong kinds of people don't get in and that the people who are in behave themselves in the ways they prescribe. There's no serving. It's controlling. That's a very real danger in church life, and and Peter's aware of it here. That's why he says, elders ought not to be lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. There's no rocket science here, folks. We know that the best kind of leadership is example. 
We, we know that. We know the idea, and we know it from our own experience, that the people who really lead us on, who really help us to move and grow and change, aren't the ones who boss us around. They're the ones who inspire us by their example. It's the same here in the church. To those elders who serve with me, and to those who will join us in a few weeks' time, I ask you the question, is it obvious to those around us that we are growing in our love for God? Is it clear to the people around us that nothing is more important to us than growing in our likeness to Jesus Christ? Are the fruit of the Holy Spirit becoming more and more evident in our lives? Those are the questions those of us in leadership must always be asking. If people follow my example, where will it lead them? Will it lead them closer to Jesus? If not, then my leadership fails. I've talked to those in leadership and potentially in leadership. Again, to all of us who will make our nominations. Before we make a single nomination in this election, we need to ask ourselves, will this man or woman be an example to me of Jesus? Elders are to be shepherds of God's flock, not lording it over those entrusted to them, but being examples to the flock. We've seen here in 1 Peter the kind of leadership that elders are to give in the Christian church. They're to be shepherds of the people. They're to to lead by example, offering willing service. I want to spend just a, a few more minutes before I close explaining how we try to put that into practice in our congregation. Some of you may not be be very aware of of what elders actually do. In the Presbyterian Church, it's traditional that you you look at the the list of people, the, the whole number of families that are members of the church, and you divide them up into groups called districts, and elders look after them. So an elder might be given 15 or 20 families and be given the particular responsibility for those people to look after them. Now there's a model that's been used in the church for years where traditionally that elder might call at your house two or three times a year to catch up with you and to to be an encourager and and a support in your life. That's a a model that's been running for a long time in the, the church Over the last few years, our Kirk session here at Kirkpatrick Memorial has given a a little bit of thought to how that role can can be adapted and developed to to make sense of of life as we live it today. Our great desire is just how best can we discharge the biblical 
responsibility that we've been looking at here today. You'll, you'll notice there that the Bible has a lot to say about the kind of person an elder ought to be. In general terms about the kind of leadership that they ought to give. But it doesn't tell you anything very much about what they're supposed to do. We're left to work out that everyday life aspect of it where the the rubber hits the road, if you like. Whenever we looked last week at the qualifications for elders in Titus chapter 1, most of the qualifications were to do with character, and that's, that's very much the direction in which that passage leads you as a whole. But I pointed out to you, and I point out again this morning, that there are a couple of more active things mentioned on that list, a couple of things that elders are supposed to do as well as to be. And the two more active things are are to practice hospitality. Elders are supposed to be the kind of people who welcome others into their lives and share their lives with people. The second more active thing is that elders are supposed to be willing and able to teach God's Word. Teaching and hospitality. Now, if we think about how an elder might go about doing those things, then you'll see that the traditional model of visiting people in their homes, bringing God's Word with them and praying, it's a wonderful model to do these roles of eldership. In some cases, that doesn't work very well anymore. In homes where everybody's out all day at school and maybe uh, both of the adults out at work, or in in contexts where the the elders themselves are are busy uh, for, for many, many hours during the week, it's hard to find those moments and those times where people can be together to do that. So in recent times here at Kirkpatrick Memorial, we have thought of a model that we think would allow an elder to do their biblical duty. And that is we have allowed our elders to do a lot of the work of their eldership through their discipleship groups. They lead the home groups in this congregation. So in that role, they get to practice the two key roles of the eldership of hospitality and of of teaching and leading people in God's word. That'll give you some idea of the kind of work that our elders do. They, they visit homes in some cases. They'll, you'll know that if they call with you there in your home. Or else, in some cases, they're inviting you to their homes to gather around God's Word and to support each other and to be prayerful. Let me bring this all together and, and finish not just this morning's, but this, this short series. A shepherd sorry, an elder, is to be a shepherd. He or she is to have the kind of qualities that we saw last week in Titus chapter 1. Those qualities of integrity and godly character. He'll lead us by example as he offers us willing service. She'll get to know her people by name, their, their needs, their concerns, their problems. They'll allow their, their sheep to get to know them, their personalities, and their passions. 
Anyone who's in their district will know very quickly after meeting them that nothing is more important to this person than Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important in their relationship than seeing our, our, our church people find faith in Jesus and grow in him. These elders are the kind of people who will say to you, we love you, we care about you, we will walk with you through anything that your life throws at you, we won't judge you, but we'll support you in whatever way we can. We want to bring Jesus to you, and we want to bring you to Jesus. Friends, may God lead us over this next few weeks. May he guide us to appoint godly men and women to lead us, people to be shepherds to this flock that he's given us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your words, wisdom, and very relevant teaching at this point on how we might think about electing elders. Lord, thank you that you've called us not to elect the, the great and the good people with endless gifts and abilities. Instead, you've called us to elect people of integrity and character people who love Jesus and will point us to him. Father God, we pray again today that you'd be with us by your Spirit. Help us in this process. Help us next week when we take home our voting papers to pray, to open our hearts and our minds to you and to be open to your leading and your guiding. We look forward to a day in in not too long in the future when you'll bring new leaders into this congregation, people who will be shepherds of this flock, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just now we're going to continue worshiping God, and we'll keep our seats as we sing together. Beneath the cross of Jesus Christ is a hymn that doesn't have a hymn number, but the words will be on the screen here. We'll keep our seats as we sing, and the stewards will wait on you for your offering.